This is our very first Sunday of Advent, and uh, what I'm calling it this morning is uh, anticipation. Um, Matt Young is preaching uh, this similar message over at uh, East this morning. Uh, you may not know this, but every Sunday we get together and we collaborate on, uh, on these messages. And uh, as we prayed about this, as I prayed about it with Matt or when I do this with uh, Pastor Fueling, uh, this, is the, this is the burden that God placed on our heart to talk about the blessing and how uh, God's revelation of the promise revealed to us in Jesus Christ has become a blessing to the entire world. But the first thing that interests me about, um, about Advent is the way that it changed everybody's plans. How many of you have actually planned something? Maybe, maybe some of you are type A and planned it detail by detail by detail, and then God ends up kind of changing your plans around a little bit. Actually, I probably asked this, uh, how many of you are so abnormal that that's never actually happened to you? <laughs> this is a regular occurrence one. And, and for us, we, we, we like to be in control. We like to have an idea of what's coming next. We, we even teach seminars to help you understand you should have a two-year plan and a five-year plan and a ten-year plan. And then so often God just, I think he's in heaven looking at our five-year plan and going, oh man, you have no idea. You have no idea what I have in store for you. Advent is about God changing plans. In this case, uh, the plans to be changed wasn't just for Mary and Joseph. It wasn't just for the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't just for uh, the, the Middle East and, and uh, uh, way off over there. But it has a lot to do with the plans of the entire planet. And so I want to talk to you this morning out of, uh, if, you, if you have your Bibles with you, Luke chapter 1, we're going to be looking at the story of Mary and when she was visited by the angel. Advent, uh, again, about God changing plans. Can you imagine how difficult it was? I know we pick on the Pharisees a lot, but just take a minute and let's give them a little sympathy. Can you imagine how difficult it was for the Pharisees? They did their very best to keep everybody's eyes focused on Scripture, focused on the Old Testament, focused on the coming Messiah. They did their, their very, very best. And then this guy shows up who is born, let's all be honest, out of wedlock, who does not seem to be the fulfillment of what they expected. And they got to adjust to that. They don't just have to adjust their preaching. they got to adjust their whole worldview. Everything changed when Jesus arrived, and some people had a really tough time adjusting. All of this reminds me of this great verse in Proverbs 19.21. If you don't know this verse, you really should know it. It's a great one. You should memorize it. It's nice and short, and it says this. Many are the plans in the mind of a man or woman, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will, what church? Stand. The word advent literally means journey. It's our moment to gather together as believers in Jesus Christ and journey through the process of his birth. Today is perhaps the biggest step for each one of us to take in the story because this is where the adjustments begin. Everybody thought they knew what was coming. Everybody thought they had an idea of what the Messiah would, should be. And everybody has to make an adjustment what did Mary anticipate? Well, Mary grew up in a Jewish home. She probably anticipated the Messiah would come. He'd overthrow the Jewish, or he'd overthrow the Roman nation on behalf of the Jewish people, and they'd get their land back. And someday this person, whoever it might be, 
would be the promised one of God that would establish a rule, a line that would last for all eternity. Uh, whether or not that would be just progeny that would fill it up, but these were all these were all uh, uh, these were all fulfillments of the prophecy because she knew the line of David. The prophecy was would never leave the throne. So whoever this person was, this person would establish a kingdom that would never end. Very physical, very tangible idea of fulfillment. There was also a supernatural part of the Jewish system that they regularly indulged in. Mary would have grown up with this as well. They, they, they do several different things, but one of the things they do, they leave an, a, t- a chair empty at the Passover table. So when they share Passover, they leave the chair empty with the hopes that Elijah will show up. Again, one of the prophecies, Elijah would show up, take the chair at the table. Now, Elijah's not going to show up and take the chair at all these thousands and thousands of Jewish tables, right? And it may not actually be Elijah. It might be like a supernatural fulfillment of Elijah. They don't actually think that, that, that detailed into it. All they know is that there was a prophecy that would involve some supernatural fulfillment. Elijah would come and he would be the forerunner to announce the coming of the Messiah. The Jewish people thought many things about who the promised one to come actually was. But there was one thing that you can be sure of. They would have never thought he would come through a 14-year-old virgin child. That would have been the furthest thing from their minds. And so we enter the story. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. This is a cousin of Mary. Uh, She too was just visited by an angel and was told that she was going to have John the Baptist. John the Baptist would be the forerunner, the spiritual uh, picture of Elijah, the one that would be the forerunner of the Messiah. We know that to be John the Baptist now looking back on time. Where would this take place? In the city of Nazareth. Now today... Nazareth is a fairly large city. The city has almost 80,000 people in it today. But in Jesus' day, in Mary's day specifically, it only had about 1,600 people in it. It was a little country town. In fact, nobody really knew where it was. That's why the Bible actually says, if you read it carefully, uh, that Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth because nobody knew where Nazareth was. Where Nazareth? It's It's near Galilee. Such a small area. And to whom? A 14-year-old virgin gets the announcement this time. Verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Church Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Well, naturally, they lived in Nazareth, so to not confuse the reader, all of this uh, was centered around the prophecy being fulfilled that this would be in the line of David, a Jewish line of David. Also, Scripture repeats this word virgin over and over and over again. It emphasizes it for us, the reader, to understand. This is really, really important. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, virgin can mean young woman. It's not an unusual thing. And so we have to ask ourselves, is this just a young person, a young woman, or is it actually what we are to understand as a real real virgin? Um, This is making a distinction for us that this is not a young lady that we're talking about here. This is a woman who has not had any intimate relationship with a man. We are given this specific, specific instruction so that we understand this woman is not married. She is not having sexual relationships. She is betrothed to a man. 
She's supposed to be married very soon. And we understand this to be true because later on, the angel would say, you will conceive and bear a son. And that is the miracle. Mary actually backs up this understanding for us when she says later on in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? So we understand this word virgin means virgin. It does not mean young lady. Otherwise, things like this would not make sense. Purpose in all of this is to under, for us to understand as readers that the Holy Spirit is about to do something nobody expects. Never been done before. This will blow your socks off. We understand also that he's from the house of David. We're given the name of the man. We're given the name of the woman. We're meant to see all of the details because God wants us to understand there's something about to happen that you do not expect. And this is not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. These are real people living in real towns going through real life changes. Their worldviews are being completely turned upside down. And we as the reader are supposed to understand this is something extraordinary. Actually, Luke, if you read back at the beginning of Luke chapter 1, you might understand that Luke was not one that necessarily was an eyewitness of Jesus himself. You may not have known that. Luke heard his stories from other people. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is unique in that Luke is is really being like a reporter, a good reporter. Luke is going to people, getting their information on what they experienced so that he can write down another report. And we understand this from the way that Luke begins his gospel. Luke chapter 1, insomuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, O most excellent Theophilus. Many people, including me, believe that Luke was getting all of his information for his gospel from interviewing people who were there at the time. And the thing that makes Luke's gospel unique about the Advent story is that Luke includes stuff the other gospels do not about Mary's emotions. How is this woman feeling when all this happened? Which leads me and many other commentators to believe, leads many theologians to believe, Luke is sitting down with Mary. Mary is the one that he's interviewing. And Mary is giving Luke insights that Matthew, Mark, and John do not contain. In fact, for those of you that are moms, you'd be amazed at this, she talks very much like a mom. In the book of Luke, unlike the rest of the Gospels, we are told some intimate details that women hold dear and men really don't care. Here's what I mean by that. When you hear that your friend has had the baby, the baby has arrived, and men, you are the unfortunate one to get the phone call. And you pick it up, and they say, oh, Jessica's arrived. She's 11 pounds, 9 ounces. She's big as a football. I know, I know. She, she's 12 inches long. She's beautiful. She's got a huge head of hair. And guys, you're just going, Jessica, 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 hang up the phone. Then your wife comes to you and says, did they have the baby? Did it arrive? What, what, who is it? Is it a, is it a boy? Is it a girl? 
Yes, it's a girl. Her name is Jessica. Okay, well, how, how, how heavy was she? Uh, 18 pounds. Well, it, how long was she? An inch? I don't know. I don't know how long she was. Her name is Jessica. I got that. Luke talks about the story of Jesus' arrival like a woman would care about all of those. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But it's like a woman would care about all those little details because I think he's sitting down with Mary and he says to Mary, how did you feel? What happened next? What was going through your mind? And he is given this intimate detail of what a woman was going through who basically was having her world turned upside down. She's about to share some of the toughest parts of her story with Luke. And it starts in verse 28. I think she starts with, Luke, I had to learn to trust in him. Verse 28 says, The angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this is. Uh, Please understand, she's uh, she's not troubled about the fact there's an angel talking to her. She's troubled about the greeting. And so we're, we're meant to say, like, what's different about this greeting? Well, there's a couple of normal things. Normally, angels don't appear to little girls. Normally, angels don't greet little girls. In fact, nobody greets little girls in this day. You're at the lowest end of the, the ranking here in, in this day. Uh, she's still not married. Well, you're never going to get talked to by an adult if you're not married. Not in this day. But she's not, I think, taken by those things. Those are cultural things. I think she's taken by the things that the angel said. Listen to what he said. He said to Mary, God thinks highly of you. Wow. How would you like to be greeted by an angel? And that angel to say, I got to tell you, God thinks highly of you. You are favored by God. I think this put her back a little. She's used to shalom, peace, we're good, the handshake, that's normal. What she's not used to is hearing about what God thinks of her. She's probably used to Old Testament stories when angels uh, show up and people throw themselves on the ground. That's normal. What doesn't happen is for an angel to show up and start saying, I'm in heaven, God brags about you all the time. God thinks highly of you. People had to remove their footwear when they saw God. Joshua freaked out, challenged God to a fight. I mean, people did stupid things when they saw angels in the Old Testament. But this angel told Mary what God thought of her. This transcendence of God was suddenly turned upside down to where Mary had to see God as an intimate being that thought she was pretty cool. She is favored. God loved her. Please understand, we understand this in completely different terms today. When Jesus went back to heaven, gave us the Holy Spirit, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We talk about this all the time, right? Every service ends with, God loves you. We go, yeah, I know he does. We're good. This is not normal in in, in, in Mary's day. There's no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's no crucifixion of Jesus for the sins of the world. Every person had to go to the temple and do sacrifices and pray to God that he would be okay with them. And for an angel to show up and give, him, give her the speech, God favors you, would have been completely different for her. 
And maybe we push the envelope even a little bit too much these days. I don't know, grace is a wonderful thing. And God is good with us, but he, he's not good with your sin. Does he favor you? Yes. You are loved? Yes. All of that is absolutely true. Mary is hearing this for the first time. And the angel said to her, verse 30, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found, again, you have found favor with God. Favored one. This, this idea of grace. And, and please understand, this is not mentioning like how great Mary was. This is talking about how great God is. You are favored is past tense. God has shown favor to you. You've done nothing to earn this. You're favored by the one who loves you. The Lord is with you. These kind of uh, words she's not used to hearing. Giving grace she's not used to receiving. The Lord comes and goes in the Old Testament. But for us, it's amazing how God does love us. And, and let me just nail that one more time for you. Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, hope of glory. Maybe we say it too much. Maybe we don't say it enough. But every time it doesn't knock us down like it should. Church, God loves you. God favors you. That is the mystery. That is the hope. That is, that is what we put our stock in. And it's only because of Jesus Christ. Mary would have had to trust the words of this messenger, and she'd have to trust that God was good with her flaws and all. She knew she was flawed. She probably thought of a few things she was flawed about. She probably sat home and thought, if an angel showed up, I wonder what he would say to me, and this would have never crossed her mind. She would have to trust that God thought she was in the perfect position now for him to use her right where she was. By the way, let me just take a quick little 30-second detour she would have been amazed that the Catholic Church would look at her and say, that woman was sinless. That would have never entered into Mary's mind. That is, a, that is a flawed and perverted interpretation of Scripture. There's only one person in the world who never had sin. Only one. And that person was the only candidate to die on the cross and shed his blood for the salvation of the entire world. Mary would be appalled at the teaching that she is sinless. Look it up. Point number two. Not only was she favored and she would have had to trust God that he favored her, but she would have to count on him. Verse 31, Behold, you conceive in your womb and bear a son. Oh, can you imagine hearing that for the very first time? Well, I know birds and bees, I know how this works. And that hasn't happened yet, so how's this all going down? And you shall call his name Jesus. Interestingly enough, in Matthew's gospel, the angel shows up and tells Joseph, call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In this case, this is not what the angel says. In this case, you will call his name Jesus. Why was it different? Because of this. Matthew is writing to Jewish people, trying to change the mind of the Jewish people who were still looking for a physical king. And Matthew writes to them and says, the Messiah you're looking for is not going to save you from the Romans. He's going to save you from your sins. And so in Matthew, you have the writing and the, 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 uh, Gabriel showing up to, to, to Joseph and saying, you'll call his name Jesus because that's what Jesus does. He'll save you from your sins. But in this case, in Luke, we're writing to a totally different group. This group is called the Gentiles, the Greeks. Luke is writing to them, helping them understand the Jewish mindset and how Jesus is not just for the Jews, he's for the entire world, including us, the Greeks, the Gentiles. 
He's writing to change the minds of the people who were Greek so that they would understand even though this person is coming to save us from their sins, he is a fulfillment of a ton of Old Testament prophecies. And every Gentile person goes, Old Testament, what? What's an Old Testament? What are you talking about? And so Luke is writing to a bunch of people trying to change their viewpoint about what they thought was coming, what they anticipated, what their worldview was. These writers were not writing to solidify the views of the audience that they were writing to. They were writing to redirect the thinking so that they would understand something different from what they thought they knew. Verse 32. He will be great. (laughs) And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The Messiah would be great. Nothing hugely transforming there. He's just going to be great. Super. The Messiah would be the Son of the Most High. Well, that Son of the Most High, that was a weird one because gods don't have kids. In the Jewish mind, this would be like uh, the Greek gods have kids. The Jewish God does not. He's singular. Yahweh only. What they understood this to mean, the Son of the Most High, is that He would be equal to the condition of God. He would be flawless. Not even sinless, but flawless. And so they would take this not as an actual verbal meaning. It would be like a carbon copy. Like we would say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We, we're used to that. What does that mean? It means that your kid acts a lot like you. That's how they would understand this to be as well. The Messiah, this is what Mary is hearing. Because her worldview has not changed yet. She does not understand who Jesus is going to be. She does not understand the story of the gospel. No idea. Her worldview is being challenged for the very first time. The Messiah would be given the throne of his father David. Simply means he's going to be in the right line, David's line. She understood that to mean that he would rule over the, 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 um, the Jewish people forever. The Messiah would rule over the house of Yaakov, the house of Jacob's line, like David. And into eternity, he would be that king. His kingdom would never end. These are the same words that she's used to hearing her entire life about who the Messiah would be. She is not even here understanding that she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world. No idea. Mary would have read the the Isaiah passage we read completely different. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder. She's thinking governmental system. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Fine, Mighty God. Again, an equality idea, not he would be God. Everlasting Father. We'll let that one slip. That's a little hard to explain. Prince of Peace, sure. He's going to bring in an usher in a, a state of peace. Of the increase of his government, peace, there will be no end. That's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The line of David, the line of Jacob would never leave the throne. Over the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with peace and justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts to do this. You can read this as a Jewish person and miss Jesus every day. Now, we look back on it, and we say, how in the world can you not see Jesus all over this? But the Jewish people would read this, and they would say, no, I fully understand. There's going to be a human being that would bring us uh, peace, that would go into eternity, and we wouldn't be oppressed by our oppressors any longer. Supernatural and chosen human to rule over us someday. And it was going to happen. And as the angel tells Mary, this is the son she's going to have, she is literally thinking... I am going to give birth to the Messiah, but he's nothing more than a guy who's going to give us our land back and help us to stop being oppressed. 
She has no idea what's coming. Point three. She could count on God, but also she would have to submit to God. The biggest problem she has with all of this is, how can I have a kid if I'm not married? Verse 34. We know this because of her response. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, the angel is giving her further insight, but she still doesn't get it. She still thinks this is a reiteration of Isaiah chapter 9. The hardest thing she has a problem with is the fact that she's going to have a kid not having a relationship with a man. Verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is a sixth month with her who was called barren. And then she uses an incredible phrase, or Gabriel uses an incredible phrase, that Sarah spoke to Abraham. For nothing will be impossible with God. Would you say that with me, church? Because it's really, really good. Here we go. Ready? For nothing will be impossible with God. That's El Shaddai. The word El Shaddai means the God who bends creation. He made it. He can make it do whatever it wants, wants it to do. The God who bends creation. Nothing is impossible with God. God can make the barren women have children. Elizabeth and Sarah both were barren. Both will have children. Both of them are in their old age. Sarah beat Elizabeth by a couple of decades. Both are going to have children in their old age. Why? Because they serve a God who bends creation so that he can shock us to the core. And now he's going to do the same thing for Mary. But Mary is young and not married. And he's going to shock her to the core. Verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am, listen to this, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Don't you wish you had that response every time your plans don't work out? Her world just got turned upside down in a five-minute conversation with an angel. And her response was, Okay, whatever God wants, I'm good. This kid blows me away. As young as she was, probably 14 years old at this point, she is giving to God complete, utter surrender of her entire life. Ladies, what changes when you have a child? Better question, what doesn't change? (laughs) Her world is going to be completely changed, and her response is, okay, I'm good with that. Listen, no one's going to believe her story. Nobody's going to believe that they didn't fool around. Seriously. Would you? Her name would be tarnished for the rest of her life. Her reputation would be tarnished. Joseph's reputation would be tarnished. We know this to be true because when Jesus was handed the scroll of Isaiah, the first time he read in the temple, they gave him the, in the synagogue, they gave him the scroll. He stood up to read. He read from the scroll of Isaiah. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down and everybody was amazed. And the response was, isn't this the son of Joseph? You know what that says? Nobody believed her story because Jesus was, was or was not the son of Joseph. Was not. He was the son of God. 
Nobody believed her story. Her family might kick her out. She might die from stoning. They still did this in this day. But a response is, whatever God wants to do, I'm good with. This is our first step of Advent. The angel promising a baby to a child. Not giving her the whole story. Not clarifying the nuances of the Jewish prophecies. Not attempting to bring Mary into the know that she understands the whole story. Just a little snippet of information, enough for her to understand. Your life is going to change drastically. How do you feel about that? And her response is, may it be to God according to his will. To me, according to God's will. She simply submits to God's plan. So what? One, we may not know God's purpose and what he's doing. So my advice to myself first and then to every one of us would be trust in him. Blessing is our Advent theme because she had no idea what this child would be. This child would be a blessing to the entire world, a fulfillment of the prophecy given to Abraham so many years ago. And, and she would be a key part of fulfilling the prophecy where Abraham would have a legacy of children like sand on the seashore and stars in the sky. There is a direct link to Abraham. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you're one of the stars in the sky. You're one of the pieces of sand on the seashore. We are grafted into the vine so that we are become a part of Abraham's family. We are a part of the promise. She had no idea how much of a blessing she would be to the entire world. Number two, a greater measure of grace given to Mary is given to us. Listen, Mary doesn't know nothing. She doesn't know nothing. And yet her response is outstanding to this world turning upside down on her. To us nowadays, you have the entire Bible. You can look back on things and say, you could be like the theologian of this day if you wanted to. You can see how Old Testament prophecy hooks up with New Testament explanation. You can see how Jesus is fulfillment all that. You've got it all. It's all revealed there. For our admonition, you've got access to it all. Mary didn't. She doesn't know anything. She doesn't know any of this. A great deal of measure was given to her. A great deal of grace. And more is given to us. And so we have every reason to submit to him and to, to count on him. Number three, total surrender to God will give you a future you can't imagine, so submit to him. Mary's submissiveness to the angel meant simply, was meant to contrast with Zechariah. Remember when Zechariah was, you may not know this, Zechariah was just visited. Zechariah is Elizabeth's husband. He's visited by an angel. He's given the prophecy, Elizabeth's going to have a child. And his first response was, no way. There's no way that's going to happen. God doesn't do stuff like that. He used to a long time ago with Abraham, but he doesn't do stuff like that today. And angel said, okay, you're done talking. You're not going to talk anymore until you have the kid. Do you remember the story? So he went mute. And his wife was like, no more talking. Life is great. He has a baby, and all of a sudden, the first thing that comes out of his mouth when John the Baptist arrives is this huge blessing. God is great. Fulfillment of prophecy, giving us a child. Mary's response is completely different. Absolute, total surrender. There's a story in the, in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Luke. It actually ends with this. After Jesus rose from the dead, there was a, two guys traveling on the road to Emmaus. They had just been in Jerusalem, and they had thought Jesus was a Messiah. 
That was their worldview. They're walking along the road because, and they're very, very sad. And the reason they are is because Messiah was just killed on a cross and thrown into a grave. And they're distraught. And they're talking to themselves, you know, when you're depressed and you're talking to somebody else, you don't want happy-go-lucky, you want them to be depressed too. Let's both be depressed together. Let's talk about how bad it is. That was their conversation. And then Jesus, because he has this incredible sense of humor, and if you don't think he does, you really should read the Gospels. Pulling money out of a fish's mouth? Come on. I mean, there's all kinds of wonderful... Peter walking out of the boat, and, you know, he sinks, and it's, You can't tell me that Jesus was just walking out on the water, just for, uh, on a stroll in the middle of a storm. No, no, no. He was plotting against Peter is what he was doing. Jesus shows up. Risen Christ starts talking to these two depressed guys. It's found in Luke chapter 24. That very day, two of them were going, on, going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking to each other about all the things that had happened while they were talking and discussing with each other. Jesus himself drew near to them and walked with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, down in verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking bummed. Sorry, looking sad. So Jesus asked them why they're sad. Like he doesn't know, right? Why are you sad? He says, Luke 21. Worst, worst words in all the Gospels. Their response to him was, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third, third day since this happened. Do you get it? We had plans. We had thoughts about what, what would happen. We invested our entire lives into this guy. And he goes ends up getting killed. Stinking Romans. We had hoped. Your whole life might be full of we had hoped. I had hoped. I had hoped. I had hoped. The Advent step number one is whatever you hope God might have, probably does have, probably you can count on him having a better plan for you than you have for yourself. The sad words are we had hoped. For the life of them, they couldn't make sense of what was going on. They played it over and over in their heads. What is God doing? And they couldn't figure it out. And so they were sad. So Jesus takes over the conversation. Down in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. Where's the compassion, right? O you dummies, and slow of heart to believe. All the prophets had spoken. And they're probably standing there going, we have no idea what you're saying right now. You're speaking our language, but we don't understand. Was it not necessary, Jesus said, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, this is the grace of God. He interpreted to them all the things in the scripture says concerning himself. Jesus thought the entire Old Testament was written about who, church? Him. Because he starts with the Old Testament and then he goes on and he says, here's what this prophet meant, here's what this prophet meant, here's what this prophet meant, and it's all about, ta-da, me. But they don't know it's him. He gives them a bigger picture. He gives them a better picture. He redirects their plans and then he gives them a reason to rejoice. Verse verse 30. When They invited him over for lunch. They said, tell us more. You're a good teacher. We want more, more, more. Like Michael Fueling. Give us more, right? Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, 
He took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. What do you think they saw? You think they saw the hole in his hand when he handed them the bread? What do you think they saw? Somehow the veil was torn away and they understood the gospel. And it rocked their world. Because all their plans were now trashed. But they realized God had something better. By the way, how do you think their plan compared to God's plan? (laughs) God changes your plans. Remember three things. Same God. He's always consistent. Trust in him. Same truth. He always has your best at heart. Count on him. Different paths. God's plans are always better. Submit to him. This is the first lesson of Advent. Blessings often come in paths we rarely anticipate. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to you this morning admitting to you that we really are stupid sometimes. We, we plan and we, and we maneuver and we initiate and we develop and we network and we do everything we can to get to the goals that we have for ourselves. When in reality, Lord, your goals might be completely different, your plans may be completely different, and in every sense... They are better. And so, Father, teach us how to trust in you, count on you, and submit to you so that we can understand the joy of the plans you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray.